Hello, everyone. This is Sean Dubrovac of Avrio Institute. And this is Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. Welcome to another episode of Techspansive, where we'll dive into the tech stories of the week. Uh, we thought we would kick things off today by talking about Spotify and their big moves this week into podcasting. Uh, Ross, do you have any uh, early takes on this? Well, I, you know, th- I, th- I think this is one that uh, maybe is a little closer to home for us. Not, uh, not as much as the Amazon investments in uh, in, in our hometowns uh, or, or close to our hometowns. But uh, you know, uh, Anchor, which was one of the companies that um, uh, Spotify bought, was one of our early tools that we looked at as we started the podcast. And I, I think that their job in making podcasts more approachable helped uh, incentivize us to, to start the podcast. So um, I guess con- congratulations to, to those guys and, and to Gimlet, who um, uh, is one of the m- more successful uh, and popular podcast uh, uh, production studios and networks. And, um, you know, this is uh, Spotify making a play to really be the source for all things audio and to uh, assert themselves. Because when you think of podcasting today, the default is to go to the uh, to, to the platform guys. So Apple Podcasts is, is a very big dog uh, in this world. Uh, iTunes, you know, Apple users listen to a lot of podcasts and we know from our own numbers kind of, kind of how that looks. And as Apple steps up its activity and aggressiveness in terms of Apple Music competing with Spotify, it makes sense for Spotify to retrench and uh, beef up their podcast proposition, and and uh, and also to there there have been a lot of comparisons to Netflix, which I think has some uh, validity in terms of wanting to own more of your own content, which which is a difficult thing to do in the music business. But um, but it's definitely not on the scale of Netflix, which is investing billions and billions of dollars in creating its own uh, TV and and movie content. And I think that Spotify has said that they're going to set aside, I think, half a billion to invest in this area beyond the acquisitions that it made, which I think also totaled about 500 million um, in in terms of those two companies. So uh, what what do you think this, and then then there were other, another announcement from Spotify today in terms of cracking down on things that might deprive them of ad revenue. So, so what do you, what are you seeing in terms of uh, what this means for, for their evolution? To me, it it is just the opening measure in, in a more concerted move into podcasting. And it, and Mm -hmm. it feels like they clearly are dedicating resources, time and attention to, podcast and building that out. And obviously the the podcast universe has grown significantly. Uh, To me, one of the killer features of Anchor is that you can publish across multiple platforms. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so if they can drive more to to Spotify, then I think that could make Spotify a, a bigger home for podcasts. And to me, it's less about what's happening on the mobile phone and much more what's happening in the digital assistant environment. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. 
their integration into uh, Amazon Alexa is wonderful. You can be listening to something in the car on Spotify, and then as you walk into the home, you say, queue up Spotify, and it will pick up mid-song right where you left off. And so that type of feature with a podcast, I think, is is wonderful. And I think uh, it will really help cement Spotify as a key source of content in the in the digital assistant universe, whether that's Google Home or Amazon Alexa. Uh, and so I think that's an important piece. And to me, the, the real comparison is not Netflix as much as YouTube. And when you mm. think about self-generated content um, and being the home of, of user-generated content. So I think they have a, a real opportunity to build out that. That's an area that Spotify has always been interested in, is being the platform that bands go to directly to publish live, you know, live tracks or right. demo tracks and getting the artists to move to Spotify even before they have deals with, with major... Representation. Yeah, labels, yeah. just be able to post it right there and, and really become the, the YouTube of of audio content. And so I think podcast is a natural extension of that and could really help drive that. You have a lot of user-generated content there, and they could become the home for a lot of that. So I, I think you've touched on a couple of really interesting things there. First of all, on the audio platform front, uh, it, it almost feels like part two of the discussion that we had last week uh, regarding the rise of hearables and, and the value that things like AirPods and these forthcoming Samsung earbuds are going to have, basically these connected earbuds uh, as, as an audio platform. And there's been speculation about Spotify developing its own devices for a long time. There's been uh, more concrete evidence or rumors that the company is going to enter into the uh, create some kind of car aftermarket uh, product that uh, responds uh, sort of like, you know, in, in an Alexa-like way. Uh, trying to crack that car market is, of course, huge for uh, for audio and um, and and a, a co another couple of interesting comparisons. You know those two scenarios you mentioned, wanting to become the YouTube of of audio. That was very much explicitly anchors uh, positioning. Mm -hmm. You know that that they wanted to take away the barriers. They wanted to take away the concern about hosting. You know the fees connected with hosting uh, and. The other uh, interesting comparison is this idea of acquiring talent early, uh, which has also been something of a, of a, a YouTube phenomenon, and, and that's very much the Gimlet uh, proposition. You know, trying to uh, create create these stars. But but I think one question it raises, or one question that I've I've seen a lot, uh, is whether. Spotify will seek to make a lot of these productions exclusive because, you know, as I said, that's a much more difficult proposition to do in, in audio. I, you know, I said it for music, but I think it's also difficult for, for podcast audio as well. Um, because at this point, I, I don't really think they can afford to, as you mentioned, the distribution was a big part of the, um, of the uh, of the anchor proposition, so uh, I would guess that you know I would I would think that they would continue to make things broadly accessible, just promote them a lot more on Spotify. So it's not quite as good as an exclusive, but it it it's more support than 
say neutral content would get right well yeah and let's dive into that just for a second because i think you raise a really important point and it's this friction that exists between user-generated content available on all platforms Mm -hmm. and then or or content available on all platforms and then what we can call platform specific content so these are the originals and, and you see this friction existing everywhere you see it existing in video content distribution, whether it's Netflix versus Amazon right. uh, versus versus others that might, you know, Disney trying to, to trying to establish their own presence there, right. taking their unique content and making a platform out of it. Um, how do you see that playing out? Where do you think that game goes? Consoles, because, game consoles, another good. Yeah, ga- I think mean, game consoles is a great example. So yeah. I've seen some some arguments. Um, this last week that, you know, that game consoles are going to open up and you'll have less exclusives. And and I'm not convinced that that is actually the direction that, that uh, things will go. And you saw, mm-hmm. you know, Microsoft announcing uh, around, right, Xbox around anywhere. yeah, Xbox live uh, SDKs that will enable you to play across platforms. And mm-hmm. I, I know my kids would love that right. being able to play, uh, Fortnite with friends who are on PlayStation and you know and other platforms outside of the just Xbox Live environment. So how do you see that playing out? Because I think there's some really interesting uh, there, there's some really interesting friction that that is existing in that market right now. Well, you know, one key difference between Spotify and Netflix is that uh, Spotify has a free tier. You know, and it's a free tier that and, you know, we were talking a bit before the the podcast about the other Spotify announcement uh, that it's going to crack down on ad blockers on its service. In fact, uh, this is really harsh that it's uh, changing its terms of service to uh, kick anybody <laughs> off the service immediately who uses an ad blocker. I, I would hope that they would at least uh, pr- provide a little bit of a warning. But but it, it is, I think it's also related to this announcement, or you can see how it's related, because it's less... Um, so you, the, the reason YouTube exclusive... YouTube, a lot of YouTube exclusives are de facto exclusive, because right. YouTube is a monopoly uh, in user-generated video, uh, much to uh, Amazon's chagrin uh, whenever it tries to, to get the... Uh, the so, platform on there. Well, so I would there, argue there's Facebook. There's Facebook, but uh, well, I mean, Facebook aside, you look at Twitch, and Twitch is building out and carving out a unique, important sure. niche, especially among younger generations. You know, they they still have a, a a strong presence in that YouTube audience, but Twitch, from a gaming uh, game streaming platform, is become incredibly important. So I would mm-hmm. argue, and that's original content. So. Um, in certain areas, Amazon is building out uh, a pretty strong presence. Sure, and as is Facebook, you know, and and they're both reactions to YouTube. Certainly, in terms of the ad revenue today, though, it's it's all YouTube and Facebook. Um, so, I mean, Twitch. You know, I, I know that that it's it's been a good monetization platform for some of the creators, but but. It's not like YouTube in in terms of being an ad sales powerhouse, uh, at least not yet. You know, we'll, we'll see where Amazon takes it. But um, uh, so anyway, but but getting back to the point, 
the uh, be because Spotify has a free tier, unlike Netflix, there is less friction in terms of keeping some of these podcasts exclusive. So maybe what they do is they there's, there's a couple of things they certainly can do. One, they can bring the hammer down and say, hey, if you want to listen to the most in-demand podcasts, you have to do it through Spotify. I don't know how else you justify the investment, frankly, but but an alternative might be if you listen to it on Spotify, you get this exclusive content, you know, or you get an exclusive version of it that's um, that is uh, that 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 includes stuff that that you don't get if you listen to it on on Apple Podcasts, or or we launch companion shows that are Spotify exclusive, you know, something like on uh amc the the talking dead right the the after show that uh and actually that's kind of a popular thing in the podcast world so um but i would say if they really want to monetize the investment um if, if that's the motivation then they probably have to go exclusive with the shows well, you would also look at all of this podcast content, much of it not ad supported. So if you're able to have ads at some point in that experience, I mean, I, is mm-hmm. this just a play to get people on the platform longer so that then they're either incentivized to become a subscriber or um, they're at least dabbling into other content? So are, are the world of today spotify music listeners relatively separate from the world of podcast listeners so the hope is you bring some of these podcast listeners to the platform uh maybe they dabble and and listen to some music over time they decide they just want to subscribe and so they subscribe and even if they don't subscribe you you know you're still capturing some ad revenue whereas that ad revenue wasn't being captured at all now it'll be interesting to see if they move into an environment like um, like YouTube, where they start to have exclusive acts that are they're sharing that ad revenue with. Well, they have to. Otherwise, how do you how do you incentivize the podcast producer to stay exclusive? Yes. on Spotify. Yeah, or, or or I mean, I'm I'm sure, I guess some of the Gimlet shows. I don't know. Maybe there are contractual arrangements. I don't know. But but over time, that that is the model. You know, it's it's a revenue share model. Uh, the um and and i attended you know when spotify announced its uh the redesign of its free tier i, I that, that was an event in new york that i uh, attended i think it was about a year and a half ago and uh they are strongly committed to the ad model i mean they mm-hmm. they understand that there is a huge base of their uh, listeners that simply is in no position to subscribe, you know, particularly as a global company uh, mm-hmm. and, and may never subscribe. And, and they are investing in those users. You know, they're investing in that experience. They're improving that experience. And so at the end of the day, uh, yes, it is, uh, it's an ad revenue play, I think. And I think between the two of us, we probably mentioned half a dozen companies uh, that, you know, to, to which this represents uh, a, a competitive response. Yeah. So, do you think others then double down on in, in the podcast world, or do you feel like, um, I mean, are we going to see the podcast world become highly fragmented and become 
exclusive, at least with the biggest brands? Do they become originals to these different platforms? Uh, you know, I, I, I th- may, uh, sure, maybe, uh, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm a little harder pressed to think of other companies that would have that kind of interest. Uh, it just seems to me that Apple, at least right now, for example, which is, again, I think, you know, kind of the big dog in this space. Uh, sure, they'll continue, hopefully, to improve their podcast app. Uh, but, uh, but I think they have bigger fish to fry. You know, um, it, it's hard for me, and maybe maybe you can think of other companies that would be similarly incentivized. But but I I think that Spotify has a unique interest, uh, unique in terms of of its relative importance to quote own audio and and be that audio brand yeah. and that yeah. audio powerhouse. So well, and and arguably you look at how fragmented the podcast world is and you well, have, I was going to say it already is yeah it, it is and much of it is not ad supported so if spotify is able to to take their expertise in ad supported content and move just even a small percentage of that into now their their access to to podcasts through anchor or through others that may be acquired in the future then they're able to uh, potentially significantly increase their uh, you know their their revenue and their reach from that ad supported environment even if it's going out to you know a variety of different uh platforms as anger supports now if they're able to in in, infuse more ad support into those into that content and it's some 70 30 split there's a pretty minimal cost to the podcast producer and then there's a significant gain to the to the Spotify as a platform. So maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe they do like a, a pre-roll, you know, just like on <laughs> YouTube. Um, uh, when you say that uh, there's a lot of podcasts out there that don't use the ad revenue model, do you mean that they have no revenue model? You know, that they're they're put out there promotionally or to support other? Sure. I mean, yeah. look at okay, okay, like like what you're listening to right now. That's right. right. Like like, right. like our podcast, right? right I mean, there's right. no, uh, we don't have, we haven't brokered there any no deals. Ads. We probably right. won't broker any deals anytime soon because it's not been a priority to us. Right. Um, we haven't really explored ad supported models at all. So if there was a a pre roll that happened just naturally that was you know inserted into it. Uh, or inserted at the end, or even inserted in the middle. Uh, if yeah, some I of those in the tools middle gets a little dicey, although yeah. I know Facebook is doing that. But, uh, but you just listen. I mean, again, here's where AI steps in and listens for the extended pause, or listens for transition words, and then inserts, uh, you know, and does some some automated editing where you've got. A, a good break in it and then it repeats the point and you know there could there could be tools that evolve uh, and some of those tools could be automated so you you essentially take it out of the hands of of uh the de- of the developer and of the producer and and put it into the, the podcast so we'll see i mean we'll yeah. see what that looks like but all right. Well, um, let's. Uh, yeah. Do, do you want to uh, switch gears a bit and talk about uh, the the other end of the advertising spectrum, which is uh, user data, and uh, and a lot going on this week uh, in terms of uh, Facebook being uh, ordered to put some uh, some walls up uh, among its various 
juggernaut uh, media properties and uh, and Apple uh, clamping down a bit on developers in terms of uh, being more explicit about certain kinds of uh, data that that they're collecting. So, uh, you know, this is, you know, it seems like uh, every week there's another privacy regulation story. What are you seeing as, as the impact of the, uh, this this latest move uh, that that Facebook may have to contend with. Yeah, we saw that the German competitive uh, organization um, essentially ordered Facebook to stop combining data from its different platforms: WhatsApp, yeah, without Instagram. Without permission, without without yeah, with, with, without explicit user permission. So right, right. Uh, they argue that now they have thirty days to appeal it and to argue against it, but that that the existing terms and conditions don't satisfy the, the explicit consumer consent that is required. Right. Um, and, and I think, well, I mean, one, it, it, it's a way of implementing antitrust uh, regulation into an environment without having to necessarily go to court. And, the, and, you know, if you look at the antitrust organization here in the U S we have the, the DOJ, which I worked at for a little while in their antitrust group, you have, uh, the FTC, and ultimately the way that they would proactively, or, or I, I guess retroactively, um, implement antitrust regulation would be take a company to court and, and make an argument. And so you see here uh, Germany kind of taking a different tack. And I think it, it is definitely a, a warning shot to all companies that say, hey, Combining a bunch of pieces together and then leveraging those pieces in a, in a way is not going to be something that you are going to be able to do moving forward. So I think it will uh, put a little bit of pressure on future acquisitions when companies think about future acquisitions and what they might want to do. And, and uh, you know, you're thinking about the motivation for those acquisitions right now, a big piece of that motivation is combining data and, and right. growing data sure. and being able to better understand those individuals so that you can more uh, effectively advertise to them, which also means you can more effectively charge advertisers for access to them. Uh, and so I think all companies are going to have to think about um, that moving forward. What are the implications of combining properties in order to have a better view of, of an individual? I, th I think it also plays into, I mean, we, we've talked a number of times about the, the Instagram cohort and WhatsApp, which I think is uh, maybe a little bit more of a geographic uh, diversification play for, uh, mm -hmm. for, uh, for Facebook. But the truth is that there are tens of millions, hundreds of millions likely, uh, uh, Facebook users or, or users of these apps who are also using uh, one of the other giant apps, you know, certainly Facebook and Messenger. Me Messenger wasn't, uh, I, don't, I don't know if they were explicitly mentioned in this, but but of course, you know, once upon a time, those were one app. Uh, and so I would say there's a, a high probability that anyone who uses Messenger uh, also uses Facebook. Uh, in fact, uh, when Messenger began life as a as a standalone app, you couldn't even use it without a Facebook uh, login. So right. there's um, uh, 
so that that is a big you know another big to your point another big motivator for the uh uh for for the facebook's pitched advertisers that you're not you know through the facebook properties you're not only getting access to different audiences but there is also a huge core that are using two or more and you you get a sense of what they're doing in different contexts right and those three are pretty interesting because even though i've had discussions with app people <laughs> over the years about what Instagram is. Uh, I mean, certainly my son uses a lot as a, as a messaging app or, or a group chat app, you know, a, I mean, technically, in- or at least traditionally, uh, it's it's a, sh- you know, photo sharing app, whereas WhatsApp is more of a traditional messaging app, right? Sean? Right. But you look yeah. at Instagram story, it's a, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of millions of users that are that are probably overlapping them or using sure. them in, in in similar ways. I mean, I would argue that Instagram stories kind of gets closer to that uh, messaging type app, if you will, mm-hmm. and sharing those quick updates. Uh, and so the, the overlap is is tremendous between these platforms. Right, right. Yeah, probably a scale, probably a scale that we don't see anywhere else in terms of um, multiple social uh properties so you know face any any of them alone would would be a huge phenomenon and and so combining them gives you a real sense of of facebook's power in the marketplace uh so um so if they have to comply with this what do you think is the implication or that you know i i I think they I, i think at the end of the day maybe they they're not as strong as, as they are uh, if they can automatically opt everybody in. But even if they, uh, I mean, there's there's a lot they can do on the platforms to incentivize people to opt in. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you also saw February. Uh, you also saw Facebook announcing that starting at the end of the month, they'll show uh, buttons on ads. Uh, you know that that specify why am I seeing this ad so that mm-hmm. users can understand. Uh, what's happening? So you know, at the, you know, Facebook is also at the same time they're trying to gain a greater understanding of the individual. They've also announced that they're making major investments in in privacy and security and focus much more on, uh, or at least at least on the surface, announcing that they're going to be focused much more on you know, the social good than just user growth. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, so yes. What, whether that materializes or not remains to be seen. But, uh, you know, you do see them attempting to make efforts. I, I love the idea of uh, why am I seeing this button for ads, especially mm-hmm. on platforms that have a tremendous amount of information about me so that I can understand uh, what it is they they see about me that would drive certain right. ads. Right. Um, so I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I do think this hurts them, um, but because the platforms individually are so large, it probably only hurts them uh, you know some indiscernible amount <laughs> i do think it, it it is a message to others though that uh acquiring diverse platforms to build a greater profile yes. might not fly in in certain worlds and i imagine that other countries will will pick up this 
uh, theme and start to integrate it into their own policies as well. Uh, sure. Actually, that was my final thought on this was, you know, it's yet another kind of issue that we can expect to be discussed as there's more discussion about regulation in the U.S. Um, yeah, and and it, this is the kind of issue, yeah. Yeah, and it really drives this, this dynamic of, do I want my data to be siloed? I mean, I know we talk mm-hmm. so much about privacy, but I, I love to joke that, you know, as soon as somebody's thrown 10% off coupon at Target, they give up their birthday, oh, sure. their social security numbers, and all of this privacy information. So we like the benefits of sharing our information. The Target red card is a great example where you get 5% off of your Target purchases by having their, their credit card. That's just another tool that they use to to have a better understanding of, of their customer base. And they can also then, if it, the card is used outside of Target, get a sense of where what are they buying away from, uh, from Target and where are they shopping away from Target. And so, uh, you know, we, we do like the benefits of sharing this information. And there's a big push to start to isolate and silo this data. Uh, and I, I'm not sure that um, at the end of the day, consumers really want that. We talk a big game, but we also like the benefits of of sharing this information. Well, sure. But it, it's all about control and knowledge to your point about, sure. you know, why am I seeing this ad? And, uh, and transparency. Indeed, and transparency. And that is the exact nature of uh, this other story about Apple clamping down on a few app developers as mm-hmm. uh, a TechCrunch story that mentions uh, Expedia and Hotels.com, which are actually the same company, uh, using a, a tool called Glassbox uh, that can do uh, session replay, um, which is a pretty interesting technology. It, it, it uh, would track every swipe and tap that um, a user would do in an app. And frankly, I... I kind of question the amount of effort it would take to go from that to meaningful behavior analytics. Um, it just seems like a lot of work to do, but but whatever. It could certainly be useful for um, customer uh, for for uh, user user experience improvement uh, studies. Uh, but but the the problem is that uh, these apps did not ask notify uh, users that that they were recording this information. That violates Apple's uh, developer, you know, uh, App Store guidelines. And so uh, they were, uh, uh, you know, they, they were forced to to remove that. The company that provides the technology says that it, uh, it doesn't enforce its customers to mention that they use the screen recording tools in their privacy policies. And the, the big problem was that it... Uh, it uh, it was apparently uh, so, some some confidential information like passport numbers and credit card numbers, uh, according to this TechCrunch story, uh, which claims that uh, that they had done some investigations prior to this decision coming down, uh, were were leaking through. So it was it was capturing some of this uh, confidential information, uh, even though it wasn't even though it wasn't supposed to be. So. Um, let's see, Google Play. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, the message is like, if it can be recorded, it will be recorded, right? It, everything that you that a user does 
is going to be monitored and measured. And, and this is a little of the story of, of, of AI today is capturing data in all of these diverse areas and you know, figuring out how to utilize that information to create better outcomes. Uh, and that, you know, the big question mark is what is a better outcome and what does that better outcome look like? But mm -hmm. from what you're doing on the app to what information you're sharing across platforms, like all of these stories tie in a much bigger theme that uh, we are recording everything that we can about a user experience. And, and that will continue until these type of policies are, are implemented. I mean, you also saw you know, Microsoft and, and others announce um, that they wanted to see ethical use of facial recognition. Right. Um, and so you know, you've got the, the same point there that all of this data is going to be captured and utilized in very diverse ways unless we pre-establish what the rules should be. Indeed. So uh, I, I thought maybe we'd uh, uh, close out on on yet another transparency uh, yeah. issue, which is this uh, AT&T uh, referring to its 4G network or enhancements to its 4G network as 5G evolution. This has been um, drawing a lot of ire from its competitors, particularly Sprint and T-Mobile. Uh, John Ledger has been um, referring to it a lot as fake 5G. <laughs> and uh, and now Sprint, its uh, T-Mobile's would-be merger uh, partner, is uh, suing AT&T over the term, uh, saying that it you know, essentially besmirches the, uh, the good name of, of actual 5G. Uh, and uh, Sean, you were saying earlier that, um, you know, this is kind of like, arguing about you know what it what is what what constitutes actual you know space travel uh you know a teleportation at this point because because it's really not quite here yet for anyone um right and, and i mean 5g has certain requirements that were set by the itu and um you know if if your network is achieving some of those those requirements, then presumably that qualifies you to to argue it's a, a 5G network, um, and those things you know include data throughput, latency rates, uh, you know speed, and and other things. So um, I, it, there's a lot of positioning taking place right now in the 5G environment, and this is you know AT&T positioned themselves one way, and Sprint is is using that to position themselves in another way. And I think there's going to be, uh, continue to be a lot of position coming out of MWC uh, later this month. You're going to see a tremendous amount of positioning from companies. Uh, sure. Uh, you know, my, my feeling on this one is uh, they're not calling it 5G. You know, they're calling it 5G evolution. And uh, what does that mean? <laughs> well, right. That's kind of up to AT&T to determine what it means. You know, can it be confused with 5G? Sure. Uh, but it is, uh, well, first of all, I think, you know, it's kind of interesting from a branding perspective that they're they're bringing in the evolution part, which was kind of part of uh, the LTE branding. But, uh, but, but they are not calling it 
5G. So right. I'm not weighing in necessarily on uh, whether uh, AT&T is in the right or, or the merits of what Sprint is saying. But but just to to note that uh, they are they are making a distinction. Uh, I'll just I'll just mention that uh, and uh, and that uh, you know. It's a different situation from uh, what happened at the dawn of, uh, of 4G here in the U.S. when uh, T-Mobile called um, uh, HSPA Plus 4G and the folks uh, who were gearing up to launch uh, LTE uh, criticized that move, you know, calling calling that 4G and and. T-Mobile actually did call it 4G. You know, it didn't call it you know 4G evolution. It called it 4G, and then it was kind of interesting because then the the LTE guys had to say, well, it's 4G LTE. You know, so they had to take what had been 4G and add this this modifier to it to uh, to say that it was quote true 4G. So so you know, in some ways, this is uh, an old story, not only in uh, cellular standards but but we see it a lot in wi-fi too right i mean mm-hmm. have for how many generations have vendors jump the gun and saying oh this is uh 802.11 g evolution or you know right. something to that effect or draft spec mode or something well, like that. and even in tvs i mean we saw you know upscaling and up converting right. and 1080p versus 1080i i mean you saw a lot right. of this um native versus non-native uh you know original right. originally true was, hd right 1080 that's right it was full hd full hd native 4k <laughs> i mean you see a lot of that early positioning when there's a tremendous amount of buzz around a category but yet right. it hasn't really come to fruition yet well uh it's kind of interesting to take the um legal uh, angle the, mm-hmm. the lawsuit angle I think as opposed to kind of the marketing angle uh, that um, that uh, T-Mobile has taken but uh, I guess as long as they are separate companies you can you can go for a one-two punch and you know try to fight your competitor on uh, on a variety of different fronts so. well and I think it, it speaks to how much energy these companies are putting into the promise of 5G. They've been working on it for years. Yep. It's finally coming to deployment this year. And that that it would then necessitate and motivate a lawsuit speaks to uh, the great promise that these carriers see in in 5G. And also... And also consumers, you know, potentially that they don't – Sprint is concerned that this will drive consumers towards that network as early – you know, if if it's viewed as an early deployment of 5G. Mm. Uh, You know, I I actually just had to pop into a – carrier store the other day for something and they were already pushing 5g even and i asked them when are you guys launching that now and they're like oh you know sometime this year <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but i i do think that um there the the other interesting element uh, around this particular standards labeling war is that uh it kind of made more sense to me back in the 4g era because there was it seemed to me a much longer gap between and, and a much greater variety of approaches that carriers took to 4G. Um, and there's a number of reasons for that based on where 
people were in the 3G era. Uh, but but now it seems that you know they're all essentially launching this year. You know, I mean, sure. AT&T did some trial stuff, you know, did maybe did one market in December and, you know, Verizon is doing some uh, home fixed broadband stuff. But but essentially in terms of uh, rollout, as most consumers would understand it, uh, that's going to be happening throughout 2019. And, you know, I guess you could argue in the U.S. becoming really uh, – broadly available you know almost universally available throughout 2020 so so there 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 just isn't this uh huge gap in terms of capabilities uh that we saw in the transition of 4g so so i, I hey i understand the aggressiveness and the competition and and all that but i just wonder if there's going to be the kind of window for a a victory in the court of public opinion, uh, much less the marketplace, uh, based on on chasing AT and T for this. Hey, you know you know who wants to get rid of five G evolution? AT and T. You know they they would love right. nothing better than to put a real five G uh, label on that thing. And and in some ways, this this label just uh, reinforces their you know, is kind of a showing of, of, of frustration that, that they just can't do that yet. Well, and this is a very long deployment. So we're talking the next decade when we think about 5G and, and you know, to your point that they would want to motivate this with a lawsuit so early in that process is, is uh, you know, is pretty amazing. Uh, and also, when I see 5G and the storylines to me that really matter around 5G, it's not about cellular technology. It's not about telephony technology. It's it's about what's going to happen with machine to machine communication. It's what's mm-hmm. going to happen with the, you know network slicing. Um, it's going to happen in some of these newer areas that are unique to 5G that haven't really been you know, utilized in a 4G environment, that's where things get really interesting. It's less about streaming content over your mobile phone and much more about doing some of these industrial IoT applications in you know, manufacturing or healthcare or transportation. Do you, do you think that Sprint doing this, uh, do you think it helps or, or hurts or is neutral to the, the merger cause? You know, do you think this shows that, uh, you know, here's here's a smaller carrier that's being aggressive and competitive, uh, and and if uh, you know, if I'm a regulator, am I inclined to think, oh, this is you know, if there's a danger of this going away if the two companies merge, or is it is it a a sign that you know we need uh, stronger competition uh, given given these shenanigans? Ah, uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I. You know, I don't know how regulators will will view this. Um, it's, it, you know, it's definitely you see T-Mobile and Sprint both trying to play this role of, uh, you know, small aggressor, and uh, they do it in different ways. I mean, T-Mobile takes a, a marketing partnership way, and and Sprint has has taken it, you know, this way. Um, but you see them wanting to play that that role, uh, both of them. So I, I don't know how regulators might be seeing this. Mm. Well, I, I have to think that it's, it's a factor that, uh, that's going on as both companies consider their, their responses. 
I, I agree. You know, and and then just one last tidbit related to what we saw from the carriers. You saw T-Mobile come yes. out and and announce that they would <laughs> essentially not do their own video uh, platform. Um, this after a very big push from the Super Bowl, where they, you know, partnered with Taco Bell and they partnered with with lots of uh, other companies. Um, they came out and kind of uh, announced that they weren't going to do something, which was uh, a little bit unique. Um, it's always interesting when companies have these non-announcement announcements. Uh, and so clearly T-Mobile has thought a lot about it. All the carriers are thinking about it. How do we differentiate ourselves? How do we, um, you know, how do we grow the, the, the business uh, through differentiation? And so, um, a lot of the carriers are moving in that direction. T-Mobile explicitly said we're not moving in that direction, and that I think that speaks to a little bit of this 5G evolution storyline as well. Is you know this is a way of AT&T trying to differentiate themselves, and Sprint doesn't like it. Sprint doesn't want them to be able to differentiate themselves that way, mm-hmm. uh, and so the, you know they're they're taking a, a really what I would consider slightly drastic approach to uh, to combat that. Um, so, and, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, you know, I was going to say this this announcement, non-announcement. I mean, you know, rem- first of all, it's essentially them saying we're not going to do the equivalent of DirecTV now, which is AT&T's uh, over, over, you know, over-the-top uh, linear streaming skinny bundle, maybe not so skinny, uh, vid- video bundle, right? And they say they're going to instead promote – individual uh, services. So that is, I think, consistent with what they did in music, you know, when they started the whole music everywhere promotion or, or uh, all you can eat music promotion. Uh, they did not launch their own music service. They reached out to Pandora and Spotify and, you know, all, all these guys and made made their services available uh, outside of uh, out of bandwidth caps but but the the thing that's a head scratcher to me is that in this same announcement they said that they're planning to continue to launch their layer three home video service and and frankly there is no such thing anymore okay there's you know you can launch a home video service but but everyone expects that that will be available uh, on online in some ways. So, so maybe what they're saying is that they're not going to break it out as a separate offering, but they are almost certainly, you know, if they, you know, particularly given that this thing is widely expected to be IP based, uh, this layer three home video service, if you're a subscriber to that, the expectation is that you're going to be able to access that bundle of channels anywhere you know from your phone just like any cable company is uh enabling today i guess what they're saying is they're not because just as direct tv and direct tv now are separate services they're not going to break out whatever layer three becomes they're not going to launch layer three now but Mm -hmm. but there will be layer three uh available in that kind of service it's like the difference between hbo go and HBO, you know, where, which you access if you're a cable subscriber to HBO, or HBO Now, which is what you access if you don't subscribe to uh, HBO as, as a cable subscriber. But they are essentially, from a content perspective, the, the same experience. Well, and you saw in, in related news that AT&T lost 14% of its 
direct email subscribers in the fourth quarter when it mm-hmm. raised prices by you know by five bucks over the summer and so um they're arguably struggling to figure out how to 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 grow that as well um and uh you know so t-mobile felt motivated to, to announce that they wouldn't be going into that uh, to that business but still clearly it's top of mind for them and, and they're and late they're, yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're they're late and and yes you know as as you mentioned it's it's getting crowded uh, and uh, and and it's you know get, coming full circle to the music discussion we had at the end of the day it's it's you know kind of all I don't want to necessarily say commodity content but but you're dealing with the same Lego pieces right the question is just how you piece them together. Uh, you know, your mm-hmm. uh, and and what what you charge for it, uh, and it seems to me that the offerings are, I, I don't know, I haven't looked into it too deeply, but are are they really that dissimilar? Uh, you know, the uh, Dish uh, Sling TV versus Direct TV Now versus I I know that there's um, not not Pluto uh, the the other one of uh, Philo Philo uh, which is um, uh, kind of this low cost disruptor, but you know, I, I think so much of it is going to come down to promotion. Um, so uh, that's it's it's going to be it's going to be a big even even with the attention uh, and 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 that that a a major advertiser like T-Mobile can muster with with a you know customer base of tens of millions. Uh, it's it's a lot it's a lot of marketing. It's a lot of marketing cost. Uh, high high customer acquisition costs. Um, so, you know, they say no for now, but well, I, I think a lot of it's going to depend on how their layer three business grows. So, mm-hmm. yeah, good. Well, that's probably a good place to stop. Uh, Ross, thanks for joining another episode of Techspansive. Again, I'm Sean Dubervac, and you can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubervac. And I'm Ross Rubin. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, Ross Rubin. And thank you. Each of you for joining another episode of Techspansive. We look forward to uh, joining you next week.